Okay, well, good morning, everybody. There it is. I'll try one more. Good morning, everybody. Hey, good morning. Good morning. There we go. Hey, there. I love that. The 11 o'clock service gets crazy. Um, okay, so um, my name is Ryan Pale. Uh, I've, I've introduced myself to many of y'all, and so um, I'll do it again. I'm the uh, community outreach pastor uh, here at Grace Bible Church, and uh, my wife and I, basically, community outreach is our heartbeat for, um, for the church, for both as individual believers, but also as uh, to mobilize churches. We want to be the type of people that loves others uh, within our community. And so um, that's everything that we think through and, and the way that we live our lives. We want so much to reflect and to lead in that way. So I say that because if that's something that y'all are interested in at all, uh, please come and talk to us. You know, last week we heard, um, we got to hear in, a, a, in Matt's sermon about, you know, okay, in light of politics and all that good stuff, how can we get involved in the community? So we gave y'all some options and, um, and put those out in front of you. You can check our website, but if you just want to talk about it, try to think through some ideas, please, uh, please let us know. We'd love, to, we'd love to serve you in that way. Well, the funny thing is, uh, Matt sent an email back in, I guess it was August maybe, and he said, hey, I'm going to be gone, or I'm not going to preach on these certain days. Can you take these? And so one of them was November 13th, which is today. And so I remember being like, I sent him an email. I was like, oh yeah, November 13th, I have it open on my calendar or on my schedule. Good to go. But what I didn't do is I didn't look at the fact that that was the first Sunday after November 8th. <laughs> and so um, I didn't think that went through. So I don't know if it's God's humor or his justice that has me standing up here. It's probably one or both of those things. But, but I, here I am. So we're going to be talking about the call to Christian unity this morning. We're going to spend our time in, uh, in Ephesians in chapters 2 and chapters 4. And, you know, there's, there's a few reasons I want to do that. You know, I, I think we're exhausted. We're tired of talking about politics. We're tired of all the, not even banter, just the volatility that's going on around these conversations. And we're just, we're weary. And so we don't want to delve into that anymore. And so I'm going to maybe challenge that just a little bit. And I'm going to say for many people, everything is over. The election is over. Thank goodness Tuesday happened. Let's move on. But for many people... It just started, so they're they're new realities. So if they're on the side that um, you know that, that lost, then their reality is now starting. And so the same fears that all of us have leading into an election season for some of us, those are kind of quelled, and for others, those are being heightened. And so it's basically into that world that we find ourselves, whether we acknowledge it or not. That's the world that we're in. Is there's still two sides that are fighting back and forth. So what I want to do is I want to call us to Christian unity, which says we're not going to fight, we're going to present an alternative um, that happens only in the church. See, the world puts forth several different kinds of unity. You have one side of unity that's kind of universalist, that's like, hey, let's all just believe, you know, we all kind of believe some aspects of the same thing. We're kind of all moving toward being better people and good people, and we'll all end up in heaven and all that good stuff. So, you know, let's just be unified, join hands and, you know, walk forward. So you have that type of unity that the world offers. You have another type of unity that's just this blinding positivity uh, that doesn't recognize the real world that exists out there, that there is a dark world that we're called into. They don't say that we're going among the wolves for no reason. And so you have this blinding positivity that's like, hey, let's hold hands and sing kumbaya and all things are going to be great and we're going to be blessed. So that's the other form of unity that the world uh, presents to us. But those aren't in reality. There's no reality to those things. They both are missing truths. They're right in front of us, slapping in, us in the face every day. 
And what Ephesians does and what Paul does in his letter is he puts us right in the middle and he says, as a people reconciled unto God, now go and be reconcilers of the world. And it's into that kind of unity, Christian unity, that we are called uh, and that we're going to talk about this morning. I think probably the absolute best example I can think of to demonstrate this kind of unity that we're called to outside of Jesus is uh, it happened in 1914. This is a a newspaper uh, from, I think the newspaper is 1915, but the same event happened a year later. Essentially, uh, in World War, in the height of World War I in Europe, there were battlegrounds everywhere, all over Europe. And uh, it was, uh, they they embarked in what was called trench warfare. So so imagine like a, a battlefield just just a field, but it's where the you know where where the opposition is happening, uh, and around that battlefield are all these like really intricately carved trenches that that are strate- strategically located, and um, so it's called trench warfare. And so these soldiers live for months and months and months in trenches. These trenches that don't have running water. These trenches that are the ground is mud, which is wet. So your feet are wet for months. And so there's pain and there's suffering in these trenches, but they are fighting um, because they believe so strongly in what they're there for, and so they're fighting. But one day uh, before Christmas, the Pope comes out and he says, hey guys, can y'all, so informal, hey guys, Britain and you're in Germany, can y'all promote a ceasefire just one day, just one day to embrace the reality that y'all are both humans, that y'all are all made in the image of God. Can y'all just for one day live that out? And so he makes a plea for them to do that. And of course, Germany and, and the Brits, they said, no, that's not reality. That is not the real world. We live in a world that's filled with war and that's filled with violence, and we got to stick to this or else we lose. All the things that we've been fighting for are gone away if we do foolish things like this. But what happened was, despite the fact that the state didn't say, hey, go and uh, uh, have a ceasefire, they still did it. And so Brits and Germans came out of their trenches, which historically, when you do that, the battle ends for you very quickly. You go to meet Jesus. But they came out of their trenches and they came to the middle of the battlefield and they did things like exchanging gifts and singing carols. They also played a game of soccer and they took pictures like this one together and they have one day just to be reminded that they're humans. A couple of things are really powerful about this illustration and I think it really hits on the type of unity that, unity that we in the church are called to. One of them is that they were called into something higher despite all the violence and all the fighting and all the fears that were going on that led them into this great war in Europe. Despite that, they were caught into something greater than themselves, and it allowed them to come out, to ascend out of their trenches, despite the fact that the state said, don't do that. But they had to be reminded that they were human and the people on the other side were human, just for one day. Another thing that's powerful about this is, like, you know, I was thinking about that, I'm like, who's... Who's the first guy that does that? <laughs> like, who's the one? It's like the annoying guy that snores really loud. He's like, hey, Larry, go out there and see what's going on um, and just see if it works. And so, but, but there's that first guy that ascends out and takes the risk at the, the risk of his own life to ascend out of there and to experience the type of humanity that God has called us into. And I think that's really paves the way to show us the risk and the courage that it takes to, ex- to exhibit the type of unity that Paul calls for in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. So that's where we're going to be. Um, so the first, there's going to be two things that we talk about with the call to Christian unity. The first one is the call to Christian unity requires breaking down walls. Now, I, I mentioned this the first service. I, 
Ephesians was written before the, uh, before the presidential campaign, so when it says walls, we're not talking about Mexico. This is not a subversive way to say, break down the wall. Uh, so I'm not doing any of that, so I just want to you know, be clear on that. It requires breaking down walls. Okay, so um, let's talk about the walls that existed in this, uh, in this church, or in this group of churches, because the letter to the Ephesians was written to a bunch of churches. First, one of the walls, one of the biggest walls that were, uh, that were in this church is um, you had two different people groups that were called into the same church. You have Jews, and then you have Gentiles, so Jews and, and, and not Jews, uh, were called into this little church, these little churches. Um, and it's like, okay, that's great, they're in a new family, but I think when we delve into and see the complications that exist within those two people groups, I think we'll have a really good understanding that you know, they're not so different than where we are today. So let's talk about the Jews and the Gentiles for a second. They are politically, they are on opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, you have one people group that's been persecuted for years and years. There's conquering peoples or after conquering peoples that come and, and suppress and oppress this people group. And they keep trying to worship and they keep trying to live faithful lives. But these regimes keep coming in and destroying them, destroying them. And so they're sitting there saying, how long, O oh Lord, will you take they long for the Messiah to come, and when the Messiah comes, he brings in a kingdom that's marked by peace, and it's marked by justice, and it's marked by righteousness. So they long for a future kingdom marked by peace and righteousness. Then you have this other group of people who are the, the Gentiles, and they're like, the kingdom is here. Look, Caesar is, um, is leading, and, uh, and, and we have conquered, and the kingdom looks like this, the God, the God's uh, support Caesar, who is also a god, and this god rules in this way, and this is what the kingdom looks like. By the way, it's not marked by peace and righteousness. It's marked by fear, and it's marked by violence. You go into cities at that time, and they're lined with crosses um, on either side that remind you, if you come into our city and try to usurp our government, this is what's going to happen to you. So their government and their politics exists on fear and on oppression. So you have these two people groups, and they're bringing, this is the baggage they bring into the church. Another one is they have religious ideologies that they kind of bring into the church. You have the Jews that have 613 laws that basically say, I am wholly set apart unto you, God. There There are 613 ways that I define the things that I do that make me different from the other guys. 613 ways that I am not them. The way that I talk the way that I worship who I worship, the way that I cook food, the way I wear clothes, the way I wear my hair, how I operate on certain days of the week, all of these things make me not Gentile. So they bring these assumptions and these customs into the church. And then you have the the Gentiles over here who are, I mean, they got all kinds of gods that are there. In Ephesus alone, there's one of the seven wonders of the world is this huge temple to Artemis. And the rest of the city is kind of in the shadows of this huge temple, this huge expression of we worship other gods. In fact, they even called the Jews atheists because the Jews systematically denied all the other gods that they were worshiping. So they were saying, oh, these atheists. And, and then once they started celebrating communion, they were like, oh my gosh, not only are they, athe- are they atheists, they're also cannibals. And so you have these two completely different cultural assumptions that are brought into these churches can we maybe grasp just for a moment how difficult a situation this is? I think we like to say, oh yeah, but then they find Jesus and then everything is fine. But I think most of us know the reality that just because you 
place your faith and trust in Christ doesn't mean you leave all of your cultural assumptions at the door and all of a sudden, poof, you're a new person. It, that takes time for us to do. So this church is in the middle of a time trying to find out who they are and trying to build their new identity as a unified people. So the first thing Paul does to help him out with that <clears throat> is he says in, uh, in chapter 2, 1 through 10, the, these verses that we love. I mean, we love these. When I became a believer, the, I memorized this section because it was so life-giving to me. But what he does is he reminds them all that they are on the same playing field. So, yeah, I know that we say that we're kind of one people and one family, but I'm going to kind of send that home to you all a little bit more. So in the first half of this part, he uses language for all of them, saying you are, uh, by nature, you are objects of wrath. You are dead in your sin. You are against God, at war with God. You follow the ways of Satan. And he's not saying, yeah, I'm talking to you Jews, or I'm talking to you Gentiles. He's saying all of y'all, y'all are in the same place. It doesn't matter where you came from. You are all sinners dead in your trespasses. And, And by the way, that message sails right on through to 2016 and even beyond that for Grace Bible Church and for churches around the world. We are all unified by the reality that our sins, the consequences of the things that we think or say or do or the things that we're a part of, all of these things have leveled the playing field for all of us. But the second unifying thing, which is immensely important, is that God didn't leave us there in our dead, stinking, rotting sinfulness. He actually sent his son to die on the cross for us. And this is why he gets to later on, he says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. And so for all of us who are sinners, who are dead in our sin, if we trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, it's a free gift. That salvation, that, that reconnection with God happens for absolute free if we just trust in him. Again, it's a second unifying message for the church in Ephesus and even for Creekside and College Station and the world beyond. So the message goes well beyond this time period and and, and comes to us. But back to Paul, he says, you are a new identity. You are a new people. Verse 10, he says, for your God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which, which God had planned for you in advance. And what do we do with that passage? If you're like me, you're like, okay, there's a gap in the Bible now, so I can close the book. Clearly, Paul has finished his thought and we'll close it down and we'll send it, put it back on our nightstand and, and go to sleep. And we love to focus on those first 10 verses. Paul has no desire for you to stop there. In fact, he lays out those first 10 verses to send us on into the rest of the chapter. So what does he say in these next few verses? He says in verse 11, Therefore, so so having been unified with God through Christ Jesus, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves circumcised, that done in body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship in Israel, and you were foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus you once were far off, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So the imagery, imagery here is beautiful. So remembering, unified with Christ, now be unified with fellow man. That therefore word, I mean, we've been doing GBC Bible studies for a long time. We know that when you see that word therefore, the thought's just continuing. He's built, he, he's built his case. He said you were unified with God in Christ, and now let's get to work. 
And he uses the illustration, he says, you who were once far off, you Gentiles. See, Christ came through, uh, through Israel and he came through Judaism. These were the chosen people by God. And you Gentiles have always been far off. You've always been on the outside looking in. But he says, Christ, who's our peace, actually reaches over and brings them into the body of Christ. He breaks down this dividing wall of hostility. One of the most powerful images that, that they have, they saw on a daily basis is there's these Jewish precincts and a bunch of cities in the ancient Near East where Jews could come and they could gather and they could worship that wasn't the actual temple. And so, um, but everybody could come into the outer courtyard this you know, beautiful little area, and we're just kind of shooting the breeze, and, and Jews and Gentiles alike are talking and fellowshipping. Gentiles even have an affinity for Yahweh, and they believe that hero Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. They, they believe that. But then they get to the end of this courtyard where there's about 14 steps that lead up and a six-foot wall on the outs, uh, at the top of those steps, and the Gentiles have to stay outside of that. Excavations show that there's, there's even graffiti on the outside of walls uh, that, say Jews keep, or that say Gentiles keep out. And so the Gentiles have a very gigantic stone reminder that they're on the outside. So when Paul's writing this letter, he's, he's saying to you people who felt like you were on the outside, I have torn down those walls so that you could be brought near into fellowship with God the Father. It's not just the Jews, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. So I, I think what's so challenging to me about that is how, how many ways in which Christ said, now I, I broke down the wall, but how many, day, how many ways do we try to erect the walls? Do we try to put the bricks back up and separate ourselves from other people? You know, I, we're exhausted talking about politics, but I, I just, it, it's an elephant in the room and, and the Bible addresses it. We're going so, to address it. So how do we continue to build walls between us and other people, even within the church? How do we do that? One of the fascinating things about political years is it exposes our inner values. We're constantly negotiating competing values, and then in a political year where you're absolutely, you have to toe the line and you have to vote based on those values, it kind of reveals what, what all is going on. And so going back to what I said in the beginning, some people are relieved after Tuesday, some people are scared after Tuesday. The reality is the dividing wall between those two people has been torn down. We don't get to be the people of Christ building those walls back up. So we can sit here outside of the text and say, yeah, the other side, the other side, yeah, they, they're, they're terrible, they're mean, they're hostile. We can sit there and say that all we want, but the reality is, is that we were called into that mission to tear down the walls based on our new identity in Christ. So Paul continues this theme. He's saying this is, this is how you've been reconciled to God through Christ, and now this is how you reconcile yourselves to other humans, to other, other people within the church setting. Tear down the dividing walls, which you only do through the power of the Holy Spirit, which is given to us in Christ. So I want to I send it home just a little bit. You know, we, can, we can say, yeah, that doesn't really apply to me. But if, if these words have come out of your mouth before, and, and I, I've said this at men's retreat about some things, I sit here with you on this stuff, okay? I just want to be very clear on that. I'm this is for me also. But if you've ever said um, words like, I don't know how you could be Christian and vote for fill in the blank. How can a believer vote for whatever, fill in the blank? That, that's a time when we've kind of said, we've built up walls. We started to build up walls. 
you know, have churches in like Brazos County that say, how could you be a believer and vote Democrat? And you have churches up, in, up north that are saying, how could you be a believer and vote Republican? But we're still unified in Christ. We've all been reconciled to Christ. And we have to make every effort, as we'll see, to keep unity of the Spirit. Even in those times, we don't get to have a unity that's proposed by the world. We have to have a unity that's pr- pr- proposed within the church. Another thing that I want to do, just to kind of send it home, is the type of unity that they're called into is, um, is not show up in the same building. So we don't, when we think of the churches in the ancient Near East, they're, they're not in like a building like this. Or a, or, a, or a big church like, uh, like Central or like uh, Grace Anderson or Grace Southwood. That's not what's going on here. They're meeting in homes. They're meeting in houses, sometimes scared for their lives, but they're meeting together. They're huddled together in the trenches. And what's so powerful about this is Paul's not saying, hey, come and, you know, if you find somebody that you don't like or don't agree with, you know, show up at the building, come in late so you don't really have to talk to them or so you can pass by them without saying anything. He's not calling into that type of unity, saying, no, those people come and sit at your table. You break bread together. Some of the most intimate things that we do in our homes is breaking bread together with guests and with friends and with family. He's saying, you bring them to your table. That's what the type of reconciliation looks like that Paul is calling for. I worry sometimes, though, that whenever we start thinking about uh, um, reconciliation, that we can uh, focus on, okay, I've been unified with God. I've you know, kind of um, been unified with God. That's good to go. So I'm going to heaven. We're good. Um, and then we kind of close the door. But Paul doesn't allow us to do that. He says, here's the gospel, and this is what you do with it. But a lot of times what I feel like we've done, especially lately, is we've said, oh, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. Yes, absolutely, the gospel. Yes, absolutely, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. You know what also? Ephesians 11 through 14. We don't get to just say, hey, hey, here, uh, let's be about the gospel as a platitude to silence people who believe differently than us. We don't get to say, oh, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, but I still hold on to my strong opinion, and I don't know how a believer can differ from my opinion. So I want us to take very seriously what it means to connect, to reconnect unification with God and being unified with other people in our congregation and in the church universal as well. So Paul's going to give us a few uh, pointers as he does. And um, it's funny, I think if we really lived this out, I think there'd be a lot fewer of us because it's really hard. Um, So we're going to turn now to Ephesians uh, 4. Uh, one through three. So the first premise is the call to Christian unity uh, requires breaking down walls. Then the second one is that it requires great effort. And what a drastic understatement to say that it requires great effort. In Ephesians 4, one through three, we read this. Turn my Bible on. It says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, by the way, sorry, sidebar, I the NIV captures this beautifully. I know it, sometimes we can be like, oh, the, the New King James, the NASB, or the ESV, these are great, and those are awesome. But uh, for the sake of what Paul is going for here, it's a great translation. So as you hear me read, it's going to maybe sound a little bit different from y'all. It says, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And we're going to stop there. And here's what I want you to do, just as a little exercise. 
is I want you all to um, read this passage. I've got it up here. Read this passage. And as you read the passage, I want you to imagine, um, is there a, a, a people or is, are there certain people in my life that I have sort of shut off because I can't stand what they've been putting out in the past few months. So on Facebook, I've unfriended them or I've unfollowed them or even like I don't want to be anywhere near them at this time. Are there those people? Okay, now have that person in mind and I want you to now read the passage, especially uh, if they're a believer. Just pause for a moment and read the passage in light of that. Okay, so we're going to delve in. Um, One of the things that Paul has been doing and continues to do when he gets to four is he's, again, he's saying, you've been identified with Christ, reconciled with him, now reconcile with mankind. Reconcile with Christ, now reconcile. He's got this constant pattern going back and forth and back and forth. And now he lands at Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. And let's remember that this is the church that's called into the type of unity that they have to fight for. Like if the temptation to run away or to fight is not there, Paul's not really addressing that type of unity. He's saying, no, I, I know you're angry, and I know you don't like them, and I know you want to avoid them, and I know you disagree with them, but I'm still calling you into this. Christ still calls you into this. Um, first concept I want to draw from is, he says, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Um, he's reminding us, what is, when were you called? You were called whenever you trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You've brought on a new mission. It's a new family mission that you set yourself toward. Um, and then what is the calling? The calling is, as you've been reconciled, to reconcile others. I hope if I say that like 300 times that that'll like be burned into our minds. So he's saying, walk in a way that's absolutely congruent with the reconciliation that you've received in Christ Jesus. Don't veer from it to the right or to the left, walk in absolute accordance with that. Then he's going to move on and he's going to say, be completely humble and gentle. You know, Paul, as he does, uh, he, he gives us examples of what complete humility is. When he says, walk in complete humility, be completely humble, um, he's shown us in Philippians 2 what that looks like. Remember that he says, have the same attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And then he lays out who God or who Christ, although he existed um, as God, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on the cross. And let's not forget that the people that nailed him there were the people that denied him also. So he had the type of love that says, I know that you're my enemy. I love you and there's nothing you can do about it. And according to Philippians 2, the best expression of our humility shown toward other people is the exact same ethic. So we are called into that same type of self-giving love. And so we can say, sounds a little extreme. I agree. It's crazy. It makes no sense. We're called to it and we're empowered to do it. So here's where it kind of plays out. These are the little ways. So we're not going to be maybe in a situation where like, I will give my life for you. Most of us, that's not going to be our situation. You know what's interesting though, where our humility is really challenged I think is waiting for like the other side to start the process of reconciliation. So we don't have to like, to use the illustration earlier, we don't have to crawl out of the trenches first. We're going to wait for them to crawl out of the trenches first and to move forward toward the battlefield before we're willing to do the same thing. When Paul says, be completely humble and gentle, he's saying, be the first one onto the battlefield. Be the first one that's promoting unity. 
And a lot of times what we find ourselves doing is hunkered down in our trenches, hunkered down in our ideologies, kind of continuing to throw grenades to the other people and to the other sides. And Paul, Paul is saying, put down the weapons and come out. This is what complete humility and gentleness looks like. Finally, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort. If you look at the original word that he used, sometimes other texts just say, you know, with all diligence or being diligent, whatever it is, it really tames down what he's saying. This is, this is a military term. He's saying be tactical to speedily and to efficiently go toward the mission. This is a tactical event. So he's saying be diligent or be zealous to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Now, for many of us, when we hear things like keep the unity of the spirit and we need, we need to keep the unity of the spirit, you know, we have the difference between uh, people who love to keep the peace and you, have, and you have other people who love to make peace. I'm going to address the people who love to kind of keep the peace. A lot of times this looks, it looks like this. I want to um, either confront somebody or to challenge them or to speak out to them or call them out or whatever it is, but I'm... I, uh, conflict is kind of hard, and I don't want to say anything, and so I'll just stuff it. After all, Paul says, you know, die to yourself. So all of my preferences and my thoughts on this thing, I'm going to just suppress them and block them down, push them down. But what we're going to see Paul say later in the text is, uh, in verse 15, he says, No, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow into him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul is saying you don't get to have Christian maturity without speaking the truth to one another. Can you imagine how dysfunctional we would be if we failed to speak the truth to one another? So speak the truth in love. Some of y'all need to be um, encouraged and equipped and emboldened to come out and to speak truthfully. But then you have the other side of the coin. You have the, pe- the coin. You have the people that are. Oh, I I carry the mantle of speaking the truth. For Grace Bible Church, and I'm going to tell everybody what's going on. And these are the people, after the sermon, they're going to come up here and they're going to say, hey, I had, I had a problem with five different things that you said. Also, your PowerPoint is lousy, um, as if I didn't know. So, uh, but they're going, to, they're, they're going to come up here, and I, and I love those conversations. Those are a lot of fun for me. Um, but, uh, but they're going to come and say, these are the things that are wrong with what you said and what you did. And, and they love to speak the truth. They're ambassadors for the truth. And to these people, I would say, got to grow in love. Paul says, speak the truth in love, and that's how we maintain maturity. See, for these people, they have silenced their credibility because they see you coming, and they're like, oh my gosh, what's he have to say now? Or she. So you silence credibility. What you need to do is you need to learn to listen and to find out what's really going on and to understand, and then you can speak truthfully because your voice is also very powerful. So finally, I think many of us probably feel, you know, I don't know, challenged or guilty or I don't know, somewhere in that, or, or you know, well-rested after uh, this is over. So um, Paul gives us some great opportunities to, uh, to, to live out this unity that we have with God. And so I'm going to lay out a few for us. Now, these aren't, you know, a lot of times when we think about, okay, what's the, what's the application? These are more about transforming who you are than about going and doing this one thing, okay? So, so bear, bear with me on that. These are the things that, uh, that we have for you. Some of you need to remember who you are. You know, we're thinking back to Ephesians 2. You need to remember that the most important thing about you is that you're reconciled unto God in Christ and not that you're Republican 
or that you're Democrat. You need to remember this fact first and to navigate life based on that and then venture into some of the other worlds. Okay, so be reminded of who you are in Christ, not only your identity, but your mission as a reconciler. Keep that in mind and keep that always at the forefront of your thoughts and of your words and your actions. So that would be the first one. Another one, some of us need to be zealous to make peace. You know, I think that many, one of the ways that we're set up, not we, Grace Bible Church, but just in general, and, and I think even in America, is you know, we have churches everywhere. And so if I get really frustrated with a few people, or I just don't agree, or they, are, they have really challenging personality, um, and there's a lot of them, we have a tendency to, to go somewhere else. And that's a good thing to do sometimes. Um, hopefully, though, we have the opportunity to reconcile with, other pe- with the people that are challenging before we launch into that new territory. Some of us need to be tactical, and we need to be efficient, and we need to be forceful about making peace with other people within our church and outside of our church. Be zealous to make peace. And then finally, speaking the truth in love, we have to, for some of us, we need to find the confidence to speak truthfully because what we have to say is important. That's how the church reaches maturity. And for others of us, we need to learn how to stop talking and to listen and to understand. And so maybe that's the challenge for you. But regardless, all these things are how do we find ourselves in the situation to where we become ambassadors of Christ through the way that we are reconciling other people to God and other people with ourselves. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that even though we're thousands of years removed for what you had to say um, and what, how Paul challenged the church, even though we're thousands of years removed from that, it still absolutely holds true today. Thank you that your word is eternal Thank you that your word is not just beneficial for knowledge, but for us to know how to love other people and how to speak truthfully to other people. Help us to live into that. Give us the wisdom. Give us the boldness. Give us the courage to give ourselves for the sake of another person. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, y'all are, uh, y'all are dismissed. And as you leave, if y'all want to fold a chair and, uh, and stack it on some of the trees as they come out, that would be awesome. Thank you, guys.